Welcome to the Think and Learn Smarter experience. Here I will sit down with people from all walks of life and talk with them about experiences that have shaped them. Everyone learns from their own experiences, but the best learn from the experiences of others. Now, let's get into it. So today I'm joined with uh, Connor Neal. Connor Neal is the man behind Know Yourself Nutrition, and he's done a rake of stuff in that regard. He's won in 2012, actually won the the club football championship, and is now thinking about doing like some sort of Ironman. Is it? Maybe down the line. I did I did a marathon there a couple of years ago and got a bit of a bug for that sort of thing. Now haven't been haven't been doing much of it lately, but down the line uh, I always like to be pushing the body as much as possible. So. Maybe down the line we'll do something like that. Definitely, yeah. And what sort of, what is the thing you've pushed your body in the most? Would it be like the iron or the marathon that you've done or anything else? Yeah, I have to say the marathon was, you know, ha- having played football and all a load of other sports throughout uh, childhood and teenage years and even into into adult life, I have to say there's nothing that's compared to the marathon. Now, part of that came down to maybe a little bit of inexperience with it, having not really tactically set up the race properly where I was going, doing what a lot of people do, even with like 5Ks and 10Ks, which is go flat out from the start and get to the second half and just be just pedaling away um come the end of the race so i ended up doing that for the marathon where i think my last mile was probably twice the time it took me to do the first mile so uh yeah that's obviously that was, that was the toughest um but very much worth it mm-hmm. and do you find a different parent for like a marathon where essentially how fast you run is better yourself and like so you're saying that you could you ran a bit too quick at the start and didn't run as quick at the end whereas if you're playing like gaily football or hurling partly you know you can obviously determine how fast you run yourself but if you're if you have to run back chasing a man then go back of the pitch on a counter-attack it's kind of out of your hands so it seems like there's kind of two different types of fitness it is it's with the likes of a football match or something like that that's around 60 minutes sometimes and go on obviously with extra time and um you know county level and, and everything else but uh you're only get you're not really ever going to get to a point as long as you've prepared properly you're not really going to ever get to the point where fueling is the major issue as in you get to the point where you are literally gasping to get some fuel into the system whereas if you're running for two three four hours to get to a point where fuel is probably a limiting factor for most people especially if you haven't really dialed in the fueling side of things so there is that level where uh the fueling is a, is a major aspect of it so i think that was a big thing and then just getting the reps in the legs because with something like you know football or hurling or whatever else it is rugby uh, you know most sports they're team-based most of your training sessions are lasting just as long as the matches that you're playing maybe even longer sometimes with with training so you're kind of used to that time uh, and you're used to how your body feels that's you can you sort of have your pace in there throughout a match you know that you're not going to be able to make like five runs up and down the field in the next five minutes so you're pacing it in that way but with something like a marathon especially your first marathon you're never really going to go to a marathon distance in training so when you've done that first marathon it's the longest that you've ever run so you're not sure how your body's going to react in that situation and and funnily enough i had found that the most i'd done in training was about 20 miles whereas the marathon was 26.2 miles and the last six miles i just it was like just terrible because it never pushed my body to that limit and uh that's that that was the big difference there so i think when it comes to preparing for something like that where you're setting like a, a goal that you've never even hit in training 
there's a big difference there in that you're going somewhere where you haven't been before and you don't really know what's going to happen at that stage whereas the likes of you know any team sport around like that you've already trained in that in that way and prepared in that way as well nutritionally and every other way and mentally how do you prepare for something that you haven't done before like it's kind of all on that event like you can't practice it really yeah it's kind of like it's one of those things you've probably been in that situation before and anybody who's trained hard has been in that situation where the voice in your head and your legs and everything else is just telling you just stop just stop going like and there's going to be training sessions where you're able to go through that but mentally you're not going to be able to do that every training session so it's kind of like getting yourself to that point where you're saying to yourself no matter what device in my head says I'm, I'm going to keep going i'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and you only really have so many of those that you can tap into like over a period of your weeks or months or whatever so i had to basically go into the uh into the marathon just saying i'm sure anyone else has done a marathon it's the same just saying to yourself okay this is going to be one of those times where i know the, everything's going to be telling me to stop and i'm just going to have to say to myself no matter what i'm not going to stop uh, because what if you stop you're not going to get going again you know mm -hmm. i think you touched on a very interesting point there with the fact that like you've only got so many of those i'm going to keep going past the point of a complete fatigue in your tank like for in, in the space of a month or a year so and that's i think that's a massive difference in now i'm not an ssc coach at all just reading autobiographies and that where it seems like in the 80s and 90s it'd be a lot more training until you're absolutely flogged and pushed and past the point of of no return as, as much as possible even like you're saying Bull's autobiography he even talks about how his coach would say that you had to get to what he called the point of no return where if you didn't get past that point the trainer wasn't worth it and clearly it seemed to work for him but it does seem like more in recent years just looking at the online coaches there is um there's a lot of emphasis on like consistency over just constantly pushing yourself past the limit that you can consistently do uh where would you fall in that rank like would you incorporate maybe one session a month of just I'm going balls to the wall here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it or not, but we'll see. Or what would you do? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, a lot of that comes down to obviously it's sort of a concept known as like periodization, or sometimes that comes into like peaking for certain events and stuff like that. Where basically, if you're going to be going, you know, flat out for every session, you might, you know, benefit a lot from that actual session. But it also means then for the next few days, you're maybe not going to be able to train as a at as in high and intensity so it means that you're maybe not getting as many training sessions in you're not maybe getting especially for team sports you're not going to be able to practice your skills as much as you would have been if you'd gone to 80 or 90 percent in each training session and allowed yourself that recovery so it's about balancing those two things but when it comes to you know those sessions i think the main benefit of the sessions where you're really going to the limit is that mental aspect it's not as if you're getting a huge amount more fitness from those sessions as you would be from going to say 90 percent of your capacity but it's and i remember from uh, from playing with cross mcglenn um that there would have been those sessions where uh, it would have been those sessions where you're really pushing yourself and you're really going to that limit where men were bailing out like nearly on hands and knees and those were the sessions then that we would have talked about going into you know championship finals where they would have said look lads remember those sessions those are the sessions that we have that have gotten us to here today those are the sessions and those are the sessions that are going to prepare us for what we're going to be able to go out here and do today so i think you want to reserve most of those type of sessions and most of it going to that limit for actual competition 
where it's going to be most useful you know when you're in the, the ten, last 10 minutes of a championship final and you you know in your body i would not be able to make this run normally but we're a, we're a point down i'm gonna have to make this run that's that's when you want to be relying on that extra gear that you have in your head and you don't want to be wasting that up on on training sessions alone but you have to have gone to that point at some point during your training to know what it feels like and to know that you can still get through it so yeah uh, you probably want to be reserving it as much as possible but still knowing that you have it in you and i think there's certain sessions to just make or break you in that way yeah definitely like you hear boxers or mma fighters talking about certain fighters who essentially put their best rounds in the gym and not and then by the time they get to the actual fight that they're they're screwed essentially they've that's put it, their best yeah. away with them and like the but, same with like even you know coming up to say a new a championship match or whatever you know you can often hear of teams going absolutely flat out even in the training session two eight and two nights before a championship final where maybe they want to be maybe that week should be more so for a bit of rest or a bit of skill work or something that's not going to wear you out so that your body is getting that what's known as like a super compensation effect of the training you've done previously so that you're going into the match fresh full of fitness not under fatigue mm -hmm. and what area would say so you won the cross mcgill in 2012 and i'm not quite sure when you finished playing or finished up playing football but you've kind of been in that sphere for quite a while now what would you say has been the transition in in we'll say getting people ready fitness wise for matches now or yeah been? i think it, i think it's, it's obviously a, a big thing i mean you would have had uh, the likes of you know uh, strength and conditioning coming in maybe in the early sort of 2000s where uh, I, i'm an rma man so i would have remembered the the likes of the 2002 when an all-ireland team that would have been a lot of big guys in that team and some of that was they were just naturally big guys but a lot of it was strength and conditioning was was becoming more of a factor where uh you know the stronger you were in the field the more powerful and whatever else was having a big impact especially if you were a team that was doing that versus the team who hadn't implemented that it gave you that edge and i think probably in more recent years um nutrition has become sort of that aspect where any team or any individual who's really looking after that side of things is probably getting that little bit of an extra edge over someone who who isn't doing that because you know with strength conditioning for most uh you know obviously for most county teams and even a lot of high level club teams strength and conditioning is pretty much a prerequisite like it's 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 something that you're expected to do whereas the nutrition side of things could maybe that be that thing that's another edge on that and i think even building on that in the next few years is probably going to be and you've probably seen a little bit of coming in but looking at the psychology side of things and looking at how you're approaching you know uh you're think, thinking about the game and how how you're going to manage your emotions within the game how you're going to manage your ability to stay calm under pressure uh, and those type of things and even sort of outside of that but linked is like just general life skills of how you are managing your time with training versus your job versus college versus whatever else and i think it's becoming to that point where it's 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 professional in all but in all but the the, the payment um but i i think and you'll know more about this and it may be interesting to hear your opinion on it i think anyone who's playing at that level is happy to be doing that is happy to be going out training whatever amount of nights per week and putting in the gym sessions and eating well and everything else it's it's not like and i know for some guys it'd be different than others but it's not like someone looking in from the outside might be saying well they're you know they're slogging themselves and they're being forced to do this and everything else but in my opinion that's something that actually is you can embrace it and it's actually quite a it's it's special to be a part of that you know a lot of the guys who are trained at that high level professional um in all but all, 
all about payment you might say love it and i don't know what you maybe you, you would have a better insight into that um yeah no you're dead right because like in fairness if um a lot of people who want to play inter-county sports they're doing it because they want to be not the best version of themselves but at least in the sporting sense as good as they can be and it really is a no-brainer because there's only so many amount of hours they can put out in the pitch kicking ball over a bar but something simple as having nailing the nutrition and nailing the even the psych the psychology of it as well you're dead right i think one thing that does help though and that's coming in now is having a specific calendar because like what can sometimes get people like i know for myself is that like sometimes you wouldn't be like you wouldn't be able to peak or you wouldn't be able to like it would feel like the year keeps keeps going around but the fact that there'll be an off season and there'll be like games at, at this certain time with the club and the county i think that'll help a lot of people with regards to just like really focusing in for those 11 months or whatnot because beforehand they just felt like kind of um, a trundle wheel like even if you look at the nfl probably the most uh, scientific league in the world like they have a specific off season and like it's not and you do see those players they take that time off for maybe a few weeks and they're they don't even take the whole off season off to just want to get back at it but i do feel it'd be different if they're playing year round so kind of to kind of get answer your point you 100 percent do like you want to be fully committed to the thing massively and it's almost like a badge of honor in the fact that you know that everyone else is doing the pitch sessions like the dublin team aren't doing any more pitch sessions than anyone else but maybe what they're adding on is that they have the i think they call it i think jim gavin would call it the like the three glass balls where they have their they have their work life their, their personal life and then their actual sporting career so maybe perhaps they've just like been more successful at balancing those three balls uh regarding the county so that's where we're trying to catch up with i guess yeah i mean that's like i heard there's something before that was like you can do so you can do well at like three different things i think they were saying it that way or you basically have three different things you have like your basically your your home life you have your work life and then everyone has the third thing whatever that is and that might be a hobby or it might be you know um you're starting a business or it might be sport and you know uh wanting to sort of excel at all those three things is something really just it gives you something to do and something meaningful to to be working towards more than anything mm -hmm. Definitely for sure. And one thing that I find hard with nutrition, and it's different with SNC because, like, if you did the compound lifts and you're getting stronger, that's clearly going to have an impact on your sport. But nutrition is a tricky one, and there's so many research papers and there's so many different methods, we'll say, for doing it. And I think what people get now, I'm not, again, I'm not qualified, but people seem to get lost in like the one or two percentage differences. So, say, for example, um, would it be better to focus like on carb loading, or is it possible to like perform on a high level on, a, on in ketosis? Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of, there'd be different foods at all and they both seem to work. So how do you, as a, an SNC coach or nutritionist, figure out what's the best method for an individual person or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of an interesting one. As you say, it, it's not only sort of um, convoluted by the fact that there's so much information out there and so many different techniques, but also that there's such a mixture of goals even for someone who is performance based and really wants to perform well everyone sort of probably still has that aspect of wanting to improve body composition and look better as well but not only that but those two goals are also pretty much linked you know uh, someone who's leaner who has less body fat with more muscle mass is going to have a better strength to muscle ratio they're going to be more powerful for their body weight and that's going to lead to an improvement overall it's like if you lose 5kg of body fat it's like as if you just took off a 5kg weight vest and now you're able to run better but that can then go too far to the point where if you're really trying to get down to the point where you look like you're about to step on a bodybuilding stage 
the things that you're going to have to do to get there are completely different and probably going to have a negative effect on your performance. Um, so it's obviously all those goals that have to be taken into account. Generally, you know, you're looking at the, the body composition side of things. You're looking at the fueling aspect of things, the recovery, um, and then the general sort of health aspect of it too. And all those things can be affected by nutrition. Um, I suppose in terms of like practical things that a practical setup that I tend to look at when they're looking towards your nutrition for pretty much whatever goal you have, but but predominantly performance and body composition oriented is is looking at that pyramid of of the hierarchy of nutrition that you may have seen before. Um, which you, if you anyone who's listening can just type in the hierarchy of, of nutrition and something similar will come up. But it's basically that where like at the bottom of the, the pyramid would be calories, so the overall energy intake that you're taking in. Next up will be the macronutrients, which is like your protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Uh, maybe we should go, we should go through them. Like the, the overall calorie intake and the energy intake is going to have a basically an overall effect on the fact that what you're taking in versus what you're putting out is going to affect what your body weight is, but also whether you're fueling yourself enough um, and providing the energy that your body needs. Top of that then is, as I mentioned, macronutrients, which are protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Proteins predominantly involved in building up the muscle tissue, um, whether that's recovering muscle muscle tissue from training or you know building new muscle tissue, but also building other tissues within the body as well as neurotransmitters and stuff like that. Your fats are going to be involved in a lot of biological processes that underpin your overall health. Things like hormone um, regeneration, hormone health, and you know generally as well, uh, they're going to be a pro- fat is going to be a provider of energy as well um and then carbohydrates again generally the predominant fuel source for most people especially in higher intensity um, activities top of that then is looking at your food quality so are you getting enough fruit and vegetables in enough fiber even in there you could be looking at things like hydration um and then on top of that you might look into food timing things like uh, when how many meals you're eating per day and again each of these are sort of less important as you go up so it'd be like how many times you're eating per day um you know when you're eating in relation to training carbohydrate loading before maybe matches or whatever uh and things things like that as well and then on the top is something like supplements which are going to be useful in some capacity but not probably to the extent that most people might think um generally a lot of times people will have the, the pyramid the other way about where the first thing to think about is right i'm going down to the, the health shop to get get my supplements in here because i'm going on a diet on monday and you know maybe making some form of, of uh, difference with it but at the end of the day if that's the first thing you're focusing on you're probably going to get about you know five percent of the of the impact it could have made by just looking at what you're eating on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. definitely no it's all about like uh, you kind of mentioned without saying exactly like the law of diminishing returns like if you're trying to get down to eight percent seven percent body fat what are you giving up and it's probably like it could be other aspects like actual performance even um and with regards to like that pyramid that's another thing especially that i try to be con- conscious of not even in like my own and nutrition but what i'll be teaching for the leaving Cert students and that where like people can focus on the wrong aspects first like if he doesn't nail the the basic concepts and if that's nutrition if that's doing a maths question it is the same thing and instead of worrying about the curveball or in nutrition it could be worrying about uh i don't know the let's say the protein timing like three hour windows or something that possibly doesn't even exist uh, it can be a lot more beneficial just to focus on the key building blocks. But one one part that I was kind of curious about now, 
um, is that you hear a lot about like intermittent fasting or fasting in general. Have you any uh, thoughts on that uh, whole like sphere of research? It's an interesting one actually with the, the intermittent fasting. A lot of the studies that have compared, you know, people doing intermittent fasting versus not doing it um, in, a, in a weight loss context have seen that people who, uh, who are doing intermittent fasting tend to lose more body weight actually than people who are eating more meals per day. Now, when we actually look into that a little bit further, what we actually see is that people who are using intermittent fasting are generally eating fewer overall calories per day because they're squeezing their food into a shorter time period. And maybe it's worth saying just that what intermittent fasting is for folks. It's basically where you are restricting your eating to a certain period within the day. So, you know, basically telling yourself, right, I'm not going to eat between, or I'm only going to eat between 12 noon and 8 p.m. And by nature of that, you're essentially fasting in a, a, outside of that. Uh, so makes sense, obviously, that when you do that, you're probably going to miss out. You're probably not going to have your breakfast. So you're having maybe a lunch, maybe a snack and your dinner. You're obviously going to be eating less overall. So then studies built on that to, to sort of equate, right, well, what if someone does intermittent fasting and someone else doesn't and they, and they eat the same overall calories? And what that has shown is essentially that there's no difference in terms of the overall um body fat loss with regards to that now there is some interesting stuff with fasting and maybe more apl applicable to sort of longer term fasting maybe over a period of days or whatever where there does seem to be some form of of health benefits to doing that on um on, on a sort of semi-regular basis not something that i would recommend to someone who's not doing it without you know a health practitioner involved um but uh, there does seem to be some research showing like some for, form of health benefits to certain kinds of fasting whether you know 12 14 16 hours is enough to sort of see that those benefits is, is sort of up for debate but uh yeah that's what we generally see with with intermittent fasting yeah no it, it sounds counterintuitive maybe not intermittent fasting but fasting for a day or two that it could actually have some health benefits so i was kind of wondering if that was just one particular study or it was that so it is kind of more a trend well it, it's 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 kind of one of those emerging sort of uh, topics in, in research um, is to sort of what extent those health benefits come about and why they actually come about. You know, is it because uh, your, your digestive system's getting a bit of a, a break as such? Is it um, the caloric restriction element of it? You know, what element of it is? So it's kind of unclear um, with regards to that, but at the same time, with a, especially with the likes of athletes you know it's not something that you want to be implementing the day before a, a match or anything like that by any means um so it's yeah but it's an interesting it's not something i would really ever implement with clients i'm working with or anything like that uh but it's still an interesting sort of area of of, of study like mm -hmm. and what area of nutrition would you see now or even snc that seems to have like promising scientific evidence backing like both sides would we'll say like as in it's kind of an area of conflict that you wouldn't really be sure what the the correct uh, process would be yeah well i'm sure i'm sure like uh, anyone who's looked into nutrition at all would realize there's a lot of uh debate and uh it's nearly like a you know just teams for each topic like it's like the keto group or the you know the intermittent fasting group and different things like that uh which probably like all of them have their their pros and cons it's just when you taking one to a too far of an extreme you're probably losing out on the benefits of it um but like there is a general consensus in, in the scientific community around a lot of a lot of concepts um but i think one area that's maybe emerging when, when it comes to athletic performance is looking at 
uh, sort of restriction of carbohydrates. So we, we know that like carbohydrates are a fuel source and predominantly athletes want to consume a lot of carbohydrates because of the fueling element of things. But a guy, um, James Morton, who worked with the Sky cycling team, I believe it was. And, you know, obviously those guys are trying to get that last few percent out of their, their progress. So, so bear that in mind and bear in mind, this isn't something I'd probably use with my clients, but it's a, uh, it, it, it was the idea of they were studying whether caloric restriction in and around the training window and, and carbohydrate restriction in and around the training window would actually lead to better adaptations as a result of that. So the performance in that training session might have suffered because they didn't have the fuel, but where they are then getting a better adaptation as a result of that on the back end. And I think what they've sort of settled on now is this idea of uh, fueling up for the training sessions, but then recovering in a low carbohydrate state where they're maybe having a session in the evening where they're well fueled up and everything else, but they're not um, loading back up with carbohydrates on the back end of that. So the recovery is kind of restricted by that, but perhaps leading to more adaptations on the back end of that. Again, something that's only really be studied, being studied that small amount. And uh, again, these guys have everything dialed in. They're like basically given the food that they're going to be eating. They're told what to eat. They're told what to do, and they're at that peak. So it's not something you might want to, you know, implement with yourself. But it's uh, it's something that's interesting, and I think it, it might might lead to further research down the line. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the person who came in this team GB. Was it David, Sir David Hoyer or something? But I'm pretty certain he even in, like experimented to see if they if bringing the same pillow around with them to the different places on the tour de france or the olympics would would help them improve their sleep so they're looking at absolutely everything in fairness yeah. it's all dialed in yeah the, <laughs> that's funny on the the pillow that they talk but i've even heard of um it's crossfit you know do you follow crossfit or anything much but um i was i only listened to the last joe rogan fella with um matt fraser the fellow won five and that's who i was about to talk about he he um he used to go when he was going to the uh crossfit games and stuff and whatever hotel he was staying in he had a certain brand of mattress at home and because he, he was obviously the champion or whatever he could just call out he just called up the mattress company and said look if i throw up a post on instagram can you send a, a thing to my hotel <laughs> and, uh the same one that i have at home so he was willing to go to that point of getting uh, a mattress delivered to, delivered to the hotel when he was showing up at the crossfit games so which again makes sense given how important sleep is and how how much it can affect you if you're not sleeping right you know on your performance so it was interesting definitely and just stay on topic with him i kind of forgotten this but i'm pretty certain he used to say after those events the crossfit games you see the rest of the lads with their protein shakes or their like kind of big meals can turn to refuel whereas he would have like snickers bars and kind of sweetie sort of stuff like and i think something uh I don't, I don't know this exactly now but i think floyd mayweather after training just sometimes just drink like a load of coke like is is there what's the scientific research behind that because clearly matt fraser isn't doing it for no reason well that's it i mean for for the guys like that was at the crossfit games i think i heard him talking about that as well like you imagine the training that they're doing on those days and competing it, like they're putting out serious amount of energy in terms of calorie intake and whatever they can get into their system is going to be is going to be useful to them at that stage as long as it's not upsetting their their um, digestion or whatever going into that event whatever sort of energy they can get in and if that means taking along some snickers that you're actually going to eat because they're enjoyable and because you like the taste of them as opposed to trying to get all those extra calories from chicken and rice 
that's going to be beneficial and, and i think he probably knew that i suppose it goes back to the the um pyramid that we talked about before it's like when it gets to that end of performance if you're not getting your your energy intake in your calories then you know everything on top of that's probably going to be minimal in terms of the comparison especially in those times where it's just output of energy versus input of energy you know where, where at those crossfit games yeah definitely so the, the whole logic of having a few beers after a game maybe a pizza that's probably the best time to have them is it well i suppose if you're going to have them it probably would be the best um but again probably look it's kind of that balance as well isn't it of uh you know enjoyment versus versus what's ideal obviously the, the alcohol side of things comes into it again where you know you do see a diminishment in in recovery from alcohol and dehydration and stuff as a result of that um but at the same time you know if you're after winning a championship game or any any game and you're going to go out and celebrate maybe that leads to then the next time you're going out to the game you're a bit more prepared or you're a bit more sort of motivated because you know after this game if we win we're gonna have a great night with the lads so it's kind of you know it's that balance as well what's optimal nutritionally isn't always necessarily optimal for the overall picture yeah definitely now there's a few good like especially with the lions just around the corner like in 2009 ian mcgeekin was the head coach and he's definitely more old school like he would have been online stores himself and coached in 97 and they were saying that like the um, i think they called them they also have a nickname for the the weekend the week the weekday team they, i think they called themselves the dirt trackers that year and on a tuesday like once they didn't find out they're playing that weekend on a tuesday they'd just be enjoying cape Town or durban wherever it was but i think in 2017 it was a little bit different so it is curious like i know that that things have evolved since then but even like the england rugby team now i'm pretty certain the day before games at like two o'clock they have like um chicken goujons and fingers or something something weird weird like that because back in like 2002 they had that once for one game and then the next game they didn't have it before the game and they lost so it became like a traditional thing yeah. so it is funny how like some things that don't have any nutritional impact whatsoever they're not gonna say detrimental but like the placebo effect comes in well, that's when i was playing for cross mcglenn before every championship game we would have trained on the friday if the um championship match was on the sunday and uh we would have had tea, tea and buns on the Friday evening, which was like the tradition. It was a, a, a lady within the club who was like a real stalwart of the club. Um, still does it, I believe, uh, where she would bring make the tea and get a few a few other ladies from the from the the town, and they would all make tea for the for the team, and uh, we get buns from the local bakery, and uh, that was the tradition. And obviously, you know, it's not there's no big deal with that, even nutritionally, but. Uh, it was something that wasn't completely ideal in terms of nutrition but it was the tradition and then we'd go in and have the team meeting and everything and it was like brilliant it was a real you know one a real sort of tradition that uh, was part of the championship week and you know uh, those things are hugely important too mm -hmm. and you mentioned at the start how like there's kind of the snc was the first thing that come into the ga then nutrition and you reckon it's going to be like the psychology around it what how like and we kind of mentioned there about the tea and biscuits and that and it's not really a nutritional thing it's more like a psychological thing what uh like methodologies or specific not training sessions but activities do you think is going to come into the ga with regards to that side of it uh it's an interesting one I, i'm actually i'm actually doing a master's in psychology at the minute so i'm hoping that some aspect of that is is what i will be bringing into my programming and um you know the programs that i'm creating and stuff so i'm still that's something that i'm actually thinking about it at the minute is what what is the going to be helpful and what's going to be practical to do 
for people because you know it's not going to be a case of uh, at least at you know amateur sport level team sport level where every player is coming in to see a psychologist for an hour uh, a few times a week or whatever that's not practical and you know financially or um even from just a time management point of view but there are things within psychology that probably would be useful you know even just the introduction of some of the psychological concepts can be useful to to get people thinking you know i i think i put up a post there last week about um sir chris Hoy, the cyclist uh where he was talking to his psychologist uh dr steve peters gay wrote a book called the chimp paradox and he was the psychologist who was helping uh chris Hoy, and he he asked the psychologist asked him what what's going to happen if you go out to your time trial and the person before you has just set a world record and chris Hoy just said oh, i'll just not think about it and uh steve peter said well what what happens if i tell you not to think about a pink elephant he says the first thing you think about is the pink elephant so if you're not so for him if he hadn't been going out trying to not think about the other fellows just sell the world record that's all he would have been thinking about and obsessing over and he said the psychologist told him like what you actually have to do is pick something else ahead of time that you're going to focus on so that it kicks the other thing out of your head so if i say like well think about a blue tiger well now you've just stopped thinking about the pink elephant so that replaced it so what he decided to focus on instead was he had this like basically like a video playing in his head of him getting up at the starting line how that first pedal stroke is going to go you know what he's going to be like on the first turn and eventually around to cross that finish line and every time the other person would come into his head he'd just go back to thinking about that one thing that he'd said he was going to think about and it managed to sort of you know put that out of his head a little bit so even with someone like probably one thing that it's going to come into for like even GAF players is going to be like if you're taking a free kick you know that's probably the time where the pressure's on uh you know 10 minutes before uh, or last minute of a game or whatever and all you're thinking about oh, is this going to go wide there's the crowd shouting at me whatever else it is i'm going to lose the game for us if all you can think about if you can switch that to just thinking okay i'm going to run up take me three four steps i'm going to kick the ball in this direction it's going to go straight over the black spot you know having that in your head so that's one like psychological concept that could be introduced and that's that's just me to, to be able to practice that over time will make a big difference to someone who finds himself in those positions so that would be just one example and bringing that into say a free taker or anyone really any anybody's going to come up in a situation where they're having self-doubt and negative thoughts in their head and that's going to help so there are a lot of psychological concepts like that that if brought in can just overall improve your game but also your life in general you know you can bring that into other areas yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Doctor Steve Peters, he's the fellow who worked with like Craig Bellin, which I always found right. ironic. He he used to, he essentially he was a chimp on the pitch, let alone having on a show. But I found it interesting because I was going to ask you that exact question about uh, taking freeze in any sport because I think that's the one area of any sport that recognizes is more mental than physical, really. Because everyone knows that I don't know, take your pick, uh, Killian O'Connor is going to score from thirty-five meters most times. Like it's just the fact that he can do it in his head. So you'd be saying, and what I was going to ask about is that I know Johnny Wilkinson would be kind of one of the more famous people in terms of high pressure moments. And he used to use a technique called centering where he like, that's why he was in that half squat position. Cause for him, he was able to like physically and mentally prepare for the kick at the same time by being able to like actually feel the muscles in his legs and his calves and his hamstrings. Cause that's what he's going to be using to take the kick. 
would you reckon that's like implementable in GA or would you see that being important at all? I'd say it probably is. Uh, again, it's not something that I am overly expert in. Um, just uh, something of things that's like that is still it's what I'm still learning about. But you could definitely see it being applied. And I mean, that's the value of, of you know, as you talk about reading autobiographies and looking to other people who are maybe inspirational to you is you can always pick up those things and that mightn't have been i'm sure maybe he, i'm sure he has worked with psychologists over the years but that might have been something that just came to him you know himself and he might have you know, studied psych psychology or whatever else but knew that that was something he needed to do so by looking at just examples of people who've been successful in whatever it is you're trying to do you can pick up those things and maybe you know if it's someone that is local to you or that you could get in contact in some way like that's ideal if you can you know pick their brain and sort of find out a way of uh of learning from them in that way those practical steps mm -hmm. yeah no he that, i think that was in like 1998 or so 1999 and uh sir dave allred was the was it dave sir dave allred i think it is yeah he was a kicking coach and he's brought it into him and he tried it once and he kicked the three meters further and he couldn't he couldn't believe it because he's i don't know how many hours he had on the pitch before but uh, i was good with him because in 2003 or four, he wrote that autobiography, and it's almost like a blueprint for how you imagine a professional player should be. Like he used to, he used to in his head imagine that he had a clock that he knew he was going to like die, and he wants to be able to look back and read each day and see that he like optimized each day he had. And that's not like in 2004, that's what he was thinking. But he had an interview there on the High Performance Podcast, and he was saying that that autobiography uh, probably caused more mental health problems for young people than any other book he's ever heard of. <laughs> and that he's like nearly done a 180 in that whole concept yeah, I that, that, that episode he did that was the, that was the same podcast that the chris high story i i mentioned came from um uh, but yeah I, I it was really it was really eye open, opening because he was going back on a lot of the stuff that he had previously said and was like i wish i could have changed that as well like uh-huh but so i was kind of go there with the benefit of hindsight and hearing those kind of stories what do you reckon is like the best framework to look at will say okay what am i going to get done next week because it seems like he doesn't think that 24-hour clock or having a diary in your head was the best approach mentally yeah i suppose it's like um looking at i suppose your longer term longer term vision in a way like what what do you want to achieve two or three years down the line and that's that's probably a lot for most people to deal with so i generally like to look at it in like a 90 day or 12 week sort of cycle because it's that level where you can you can see it you know you can imagine it three months from now or whatever and you can sort of have a concept of where you might want to be because if you're having to plan out your life three years in advance you're kind of like geez that's a bit daunting and you know you don't want to commit yourself too fully to that so like looking at a 90 day uh cycle and then breaking that maybe down into right what do i need to do on a weekly basis for the next 12 weeks and then each week if you're doing that then looking at the daily and saying right what what from the weekly list do i need to take into today and get ticked off um i think that's, that's personally the way i tend to plan is over the next 90 days and even you know from like from program is like looking at a 12 week sort of program and uh then at, at a 12 at each 12 week segment looking at it and going okay well how far have we come over this where are we now versus where we would want to be another 12 weeks from now and uh sort of laying out a plan to get there and by doing that obviously uh you're going to progress and you're going to progress and you're going to look back two three years from now and say right well i went through all those 90 day cycles each one of them have been additional in the progress and will have compounded over time so yeah that's the way i tend to look to break it down
Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. And so you you kind of touched on the fact of working twelve week programs, and I don't think it's a coincidence that most of the programs you run are twelve weeks for your clients. Yeah. What sort of what would be like the common kind of problems that you'd have with uh, clients? Not that they wouldn't be paying like that they wouldn't be doing your program, but they might the problems that they have in their everyday life getting in the way of their goals. Yeah, but I think like for most for most people who are coming to me, it's not a there's no issue of motivation because they're coming off their own back to come in and you know sign up to a program to do it um for some people it's you know a lack of information where they don't necessarily know what they're, they're having to do uh with their nutrition and it's just a lack of information for others to have the information maybe have too much information what they actually need is a plan to keep everything simple a plan laid out where they're going to be able to follow it track their progress etc um and yeah i think that there's those different stages that that people can can go through um but I think like from sort of a day-to-day level, most people are probably like struggling with before they maybe maybe come onto a program uh, with me is like getting a bit of accuracy around their nutrition and even their training as well. Um, where, you know, someone might come message me saying, look, I'm eating well at the moment. Uh, uh, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm, I'm not eating that much and um, it's not working for me and everything else. And, you know what I, I might go back to them and say well is like do you have an accurate number of of what you're eating do you know basically how many calories you're eating per day or whatever else and maybe they're missing that accuracy level so that's the first thing uh, and you know like it's the first thing that probably i focus on is getting an accurate picture of that or getting a an accurate number put behind what you should be maybe consuming and you know that might change over time that might go up or down or change as the season goes on etc but uh, having that le- level of accuracy, I think, is the biggest thing that most people miss out on. Um, and yeah, I think like problems like come up with that because you're then going to have to track that, and you're going to have to get a little bit of, um, you know, a bit of hassle at the start with weighing out your food, maybe, and looking at labels and and putting it into the phone app. But what I find then is, you know, if you go do, through doing that, maybe four eight. 12 weeks or whatever you get to the other end and you actually have like a new instinctual idea of what a plate of food contains you know you know after doing that for a while you look at a plate and you go i know that that plate's probably 600 calories probably about 40 grams of protein and you know has two two portions of vegetables in it whereas before you were just looking at it and going is that healthy or is it not you know so uh that the the, the struggles that come along with that are all part of the learning process and even if I know someone who has someone hasn't tracked their food or been that accurate with it before, I'll still push them to go to, to get that accuracy because I know they're gonna come up with come up against issues and problems that once they get over, they'll learn from and bring it into to the future weeks rather than just giving you a meal plan and saying, Eat this, because what what are you gonna learn from that, you know? Definitely. No, it's interesting because there's a whole concept of if you have your goals vague, you can't you can never fail. But when you have it laid laid out, you know exactly if you if you've succeeded or failed, which then doesn't give you, it doesn't give you that easy out. And from a more like because you're doing your psych, psych uh, psychology uh, masters now, from a more psychological point of view, what have you learned as a coach uh, through the years with the uh, client? Um, it's interesting because as I sort of mentioned, the the, the motivation is generally there already with people who are coming to me, so it's it's not often an issue of motivation when they come to initially starting what i find is that that motivation once you've hit your first goal or once you've seen a lot of progress can start to weigh in and all of a sudden then you start reverting back to things that 
uh, that maybe you, you were doing before because you think you've you, you've gotten as far as you want. So a lot of that would come down to then, you know, pushing a little bit further for the next goals. You know, if you if you've especially guys who've maybe working with me maybe six months and they've gotten really like made a huge amount of progress, they're kind of like I've made more progress than than I thought I wanted to make already. So where do I go from here? You know, I don't have anything anything more to to do. Uh, so it's sort of re reinvigorating that within within someone saying right well you know, there's other areas we can be improving on. Like you've gotten lean, yes, and you've improved your performance, but, you know, can we get you that bit stronger? Can we start developing the, what you're doing in the gym? Can we look at other areas where you might want to improve? So there's always going to be areas where you're improved. Like no one no one who comes to me is like Usain Bolt or like, uh, you know, no one who comes to me has reached that level yet. So you're always going to have something to improve on to get to that level. Um, so I think that's probably, say, from a psych psychological point of view, is managing that motivation and sort of always nearly pushing for more whilst obviously being happy with with what you've done so far yeah and if you had to put the gafc coaching hat on again like what would be like ideal metrics that you'd want your we'll say uh, let's take a position say your center back what sort of metrics would you want him to be hidden with we'll say not even body fat percentage but like maybe sprint speed uh distance able to cover in a game would you have anything like that or have you thought about that at all yeah i've, de I've definitely thought about it it's it's one of those things that's quite uh arbitrary to put a number on a lot of the things because you're sort of picking a number up based off yeah. experience and based off what you've seen from other people because you, you'll know you know players that have never basically lifted a weight in their life and they're the best player in some team so it's kind of like how much of an effect is that having so I, i'm always basically putting saying right where are you now and how can we improve that so if you're squatting 60 kg now how can we get you up to a 70 or how can we improve that strength um so yeah to put our obviously numbers on is something that i've been a little bit resistant to I'm, I'm working on something at the moment that i'm putting some metrics in place and basically saying look yes these are arbitrary but it gives you something to work towards so i've got a list of maybe like 30 different metrics ranging from like endurance now down to and you, you'll see it soon uh endurance down to like you know speed strength even skill um and then rounded like body fat percentage muscle and stuff like that so there are a few things you got like gym work wise like there's the, the the metrics that would have been previous like given over the years of like a two, double body weight like deadlift like 1.5 times body weight squat and like 1.25 uh bench press and like if you've hit those things you're probably not going to see much um pro much uh performance progress on the pitch by going beyond that you know there is a point of as you mentioned for diminishing returns where like optimizing more for that would probably the time spent doing that would probably be better suited working on skills or running or whatever else so um yeah obviously hard to put numbers on it but those would be those would be a few just off the, off the top of my head would like to see like pull-ups i would like to see be able to do like you know 10 to 10 to 15 pull-ups um from 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 dead hangs and stuff um and a few other ones like that but yeah and what would be your thoughts on like more we'll say not softer but like different areas like something like pilates or yoga and that kind of stuff because as you said it's very easy to put the bench squat deadlift maybe sprint speed uh bleep test score like would you have any interest or not interest but would you have any, like again law and dimension returns would it be worth your while putting in hours to make yourself more flexible or to do pilates or maybe there's some other thing that i'm not mentioning that would be beneficial that isn't really in the public domain in the ga world now 
Yeah, I mean, it's there's um, there's obviously like benefits to each each of those things, but it just depends on what you need at that time. You know, if you are someone who's really inflexible, that like you can you know really struggle to even get near to touching your toes, or like if it's impairing your game in some way, like if the, if you're going down to pick up a ball or a slither or whatever, and you're finding that you actually are struggling to bend over, like because of inflexibility probably something like a yoga is going to be more beneficial to you than even something like strength training but it's also important to notice to note with strength training that you're getting a lot of flexibility work in a proper strength training program like you you look at a squat like a, especially something like even a front squat like the flexibility needed in your your wrists your your lats your your hips your knees and your ankles and everything else is going to be challenged and not only are you challenging it through the range of motion improving flexibility but you're also doing it in a way that's improving the strength in them ranges of motion so it's no it's not really any good you being able to uh you know if you're laying on the ground and someone's able to push your hamstring really close up to like past 90 degrees if you can't control the strength you're able to to put forward in that position so uh and i sort of mentioned to you to this in a previous chat yesterday or a few days ago where we we're talking about the massage guns and stuff and those opening up a little bit more flexibility in the short term which isn't necessarily beneficial unless you're going to actually go and strengthen up that new range of motion that you've just um you've just opened up so uh yeah i think those things can all have their use but again it's specific to what do you want from it and what you know do is it something that you need and i think that's probably why most people gravitate towards strength training is because that's probably going to give you the biggest bang for your buck in terms of uh, not only your your movement ability but also benefit the strength the power output and what you're actually going to be doing on the field if you had to put a hierarchy of importance on you know from a pure physical point of view like we'll forget about technical tactical and mental what would be your like three or four most important things to do uh, as an athlete we'll say for we'll pick ga again because yeah. that's the one we know the most about yeah I, I suppose again it's going to be sort of a bit like a, an arbitrary sort of thing but uh there's a guy, a guy called uh, Rugby Strength Coaches, the name of his company, um, Care When I'm Flat, I think he called him, but he says like the biggest the biggest thing you should be focusing, focusing on is becoming a PhD in your sport. Like that's, you need to know your sport, you need to know what the gameplay is, like the skills and everything else. So that's like above everything, you know, and as I said, I've known players like have, haven't touched a, 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 weight, a squat bar in their life, but have been like the best player in teams. So it's important to have that as, as a note. And then, outside of that it's going to be looking at like what you need to improve again so if you're finding that you're a corner forward and you know you're not fast you know your your man's beating you to every ball well obviously your speed is something that you need to be working on doesn't necessarily mean you're going to only be running sprints it might mean that you're going to be yes running sprints but also working on your strength also working on your power output and stuff like that so the hierarchy will be based obviously on what the individual needs but i mean the skills of the sport knowing the sport inside out matched with having the fitness demands of the sport again no point in being uh, strong if you can't get about the pitch and you can't last for the, the full match uh then looking at the likes of your strength and conditioning probably maybe nutrition in line with that i, I would say um and then maybe looking to more sort of esoteric things you know the psychology we talked about um maybe like you know even adding in there the likes of the the yoga and stuff like that if that's something that you feel like you really need no as you said already i thought thought it was interesting that you thought the next revolution would be like the psychological point in terms of the sports 
I personally think it could be individual video analysis because if you look at other teams, like uh, if you look at different sports, especially like the NFL, um, oh, it's just a cliche at this stage, but people like Peyton Manning or Aaron, Ra- Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, uh, but like they're they base their based their entire game on their intellect essentially. Like it's it's the most athletic sport in the world, yet they're they're providing the most output because they're the ones who understand the reads the best. But it's funny because people have the perception that it's only the sm- only the smart like quarterbacks that do the work. Like someone like Rivers, for example, who's one of the probably the strong one of the strongest linebackers of all time. He would spend I think it was three and a half to four hours a night looking at tape. And I was in the early two thousands and. I personally think that's going to be the next uh, area of growth in the GEA. And yeah, yeah that's, that's just that's a bit of a segue. But. No, it's interesting um, because um, I just remember it just sparks memories of like, even without the, the necessary, the video impact was just, I'd find a lot of benefit going to ma- a manager and asking them, what do you like, what do you say about my game that I need to improve or that, you know, you think I could be working on? And like, the feed, if you, obviously, if you've open manager and, you know, someone who's uh, able to do it, the feedback you can get from even just that is you know could be really beneficial they'd be like telling you stuff that you didn't even realize was part of your game or you didn't even realize you you were weak at whereas they're saying it and like just presuming that you know that and you've been working on it but that could give you a lot of sort of ammo to go and actually improve on that and plug in any weak spots your game and the likes of video analysis is obviously going to do that as well if you can get access to it yeah and it's something that can be done in parallel to like nutrition like eating your food and having a look at that like it's not exclusive yeah and so say for yourself you said that you'll have your 12-week goals and then you'd have you'd be hoping to have your two or three plan how consistent like we'll say for yourself like right now how often would you be able to stick to that 12-week plan or would would the time frame have like would you get it done in 10 weeks or would it normally be 12 weeks on the dot uh it was probably like uh, probably something that i would maybe like struggle with at times is like what if you you hit the goal early and like end up then you're nearly two weeks to go before then you're resetting your goal to now a higher goal and then suddenly you don't hit that and you could have just you should have just probably stuck with your original goal and taken a bit of taking a bit of celebration from it uh, as opposed to just open your goal again knowing that you've you've already hit it um but yeah i know like i would tend to especially with training like i would always work in, in those type of blocks and the coach that i work with as well works in 12-week blocks um and you know with with training and gym work and stuff you're going to see out the 12 weeks anyway because you're going to be doing your, your gym sessions laid out um but with the likes of even like you know business or studies or whatever else uh, tend to try and keep it to that point and have like a week scheduled in after that where I'm focusing on like taking that step back and prepare resetting for the for the next 12 weeks for example and sometimes that week can can extend out a bit where I've just maybe two or three weeks where I'm not really goal focused and just taking stuff off and you know taking the boxes as needed um but I do find that when I stick to those 90 day goals um it, it tends to you know work better there's more motivation there there's more sort of tr- you know tracking of metrics that you can actually see you know how much you're progressing or not so yeah i, t- I try to try my best to, but it's not always you know successful yeah and uh, just to wrap it up then i guess if you had any particular like what would be the big takeaway that you've had in the last year or two that might be like that you didn't expect to have like not even with regards to covid but just in general like what's a new snc tip or nutrition tip that you've kind of picked up recently enough um probably just in the like 
not sure if it's anything that's completely practical to do with lesson, but I, I did do a, a, co- a couple of courses there by um, a group called Kilo Strength Society, and it was just uh, I'd picked up a lot of uh, really you know solid programming tips uh, from from that, which was real real new structure to the overall programming. And it's not going to be practical to everyone, but it was just the way the program was set up, where it was it was really just analytical and and the you know the pro- the the exercises set up in such a way that they were always complementary uh, to whatever else you were doing that day and bring it into the next day. And it, it's not something that I follow like strictly now and change all my programming to what they've done because I would never, I, I, anytime I'm learning something or going through a course or whatever, got, I just want to take away a few core concepts that I can plug into my own thing rather than taking them wholesale. Um, so that would be, that. that's one one thing that came to mind with regards to that. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have any anything that I can think of right now that would be more practical to to people listening. But um, yeah, well, maybe just the pra- maybe the practical element of it is just to maybe look for areas and whatever you're doing that you can um, you know get someone else's perspective on and take all their hard years of work and just sort of learn from it. Mm-hmm. Now, thanks a million, Connor, for this. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, I've even picked yeah. up a thing or two just listening in the last hour, so I'm sure there's plenty who'll enjoy it as well. Uh, thanks a million again. Appreciate it a lot. Very welcome. That's the end of another episode. I hope you've taken something away from this, and I'll catch you in the next one. Until then, good luck.